We'll turn in the scriptures today to Luke's Gospel in chapter 7. Luke in chapter 7. We're going to read from verse 36 to the end of the chapter. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who... And what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence, the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he saith unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Amen. We thank the Lord again for this reading of his word. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, as we come to consider thy word, we pray that thou would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ. It is he to whom we are to look. So often our eyes are taken away after other things. We make plans for ourselves. Lord, we make decisions of what we must do and what we should do. We have seen from David's life that those decisions so often went wrong and now just deliver him from them because of thy grace. Father, as we see uh, this uh, manifestation once again of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his wisdom, we pray, Father, that we might be moved by it and, Lord, that we might grow in understanding and in knowledge. We pray, Father, for those who, of whom we have heard this, this day, of, for Sally and William uh, in hospital. Lord, we pray that thou wouldst put thy hand upon them to deliver them. And gracious God, that thou wouldst care for each of us and that thou wouldst direct our steps. We pray, Father, that thou wouldst be exalted and glorified, even in our faith, as we look unto thee, as we rest upon thee, as we depend upon thee. Lord, we pray that thou wouldst be with them and help them and strengthen them. I would remember also, as 
We've forgotten uh, hitherto to uh, be with Daniel as he uh, preaches in Dawes Heath this morning. Lord, we pray that thou wast be with him and that thou wast watch over him too. So hear us, we ask thee. Continue with us now in our understanding of the scriptures. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So I want to think about this portion of scripture this morning and uh, if I were to give it a title, which I have actually, uh, I would just call it judgment. Judgment. There are three judgments here, really. There is the judgment, the cynical judgment of Simon, uh, first and foremost. Uh, and then uh, see, secondly, there is the self-judgment of the woman uh, as she judges herself and comes to the Lord Jesus. And then the sweet judgment of Christ himself. So I want to think about these three aspects of the account which is given. It's interesting to note that only Luke uh, brings this to our attention uh, that is not mentioned in the other Gospels, but here it is brought before us. So we want to consider here, first of all, uh, the whole of the story of, uh, of what we have read together, and no doubt we can recall uh, to our own minds uh, what the scenario is, how that this Pharisee has asked the Lord Jesus into his house. Remember, uh, not long before, a few, uh, well, a couple of months ago now, I suppose, uh, we saw how that Levi made a feast and invited the Lord Jesus into, into that feast and how the Pharisees looked on and asked why they were feasting while their disciples and the disciples of John fasted. Uh, if you can cast your mind back to that. And perhaps the Pharisee has thought, well, well, let's see uh, if the Lord Jesus will come into my house or whether he will come and meet with me. Is he so far separated from us that he'll go to the publicans, but he won't come to the Pharisees? And so perhaps uh, this is one of those thoughts which has entered into his mind. And we find that the Lord Jesus is quite as willing to go into uh, this house of the Pharisee as he is into the publican's house. Uh, it is interesting to note it, considering how the Pharisees are the enemies of Christ. But Christ is of, uh, of no fear of any. Uh, he will meet with any and he will minister to any. We also need to have such an attitude that we are ready to proclaim the glory of God to all and sundry. And that we make no difference and judge not between one and another if we have the opportunity of meeting with them. And so he goes into this house and we find that a woman also uh, came in the city uh, and she is noted here as a sinner. That is a habitual sinner, the, the word there uh, having that connotation. And she comes in while Jesus sat at meat and she brought an alabaster box of ointment. And she wept and washed his feet with tears, wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And the Pharisee makes his judgment. Perhaps that's the, the, the basis of the invitation of the Lord Jesus in the beginning, that the Pharisee might make a judgment of him and to see where he stands. We certainly see that the Pharisee uh, saw what was going on and said within himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Uh, how he knew that uh, remains uh, mysterious, but perhaps uh, in her dress or uh, in his knowledge of the region, uh, he might know those things. So I want to think about this cynical judgment of Simon, first of all, 
so we have here, uh, first of all, Simon's desire. It says in verse 36, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house. Of course, it is the Lord who tells us what this Pharisee's name is in verse 40. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. So Simon has a desire then to have Jesus into his house. And it seems that here is a time when he will evaluate Christ. And that is borne out by other things here as we see them uh, together. And it is borne out by Simon's demeanor, his attitude toward Christ from the beginning. Uh, We find that there is no water of comfort. The Lord Jesus makes that point doesn't he as he speaks to him in verse 44 he says seest thou this woman i entered into thine house thou gavest me no water for my feet no water of comfort of course it was the tradition there and uh, and it was something which was just a, a plain courtesy that when somebody came into your house you would wash their feet to wash the dust of the of the surrounding areas off a person's feet to give them comfort no doubt also it was very hot Uh, And so their feet would be hot, uh, they would be sweaty, uh, they would be dusty as the dust sticks to them. Uh, It is reckoned probably that uh, everyone would wear some kind of a sandal and so the dust would be there all over them and to take a person to wash their feet was just a common courtesy. And yet here we find that Simon gives not that courtesy to Christ. It's as if he is saying, well, don't make yourself at home here. You're only here for evaluation. And Simon is there then, uh, if that is the case, to look at the Lord Jesus and to make his own judgment as to who this man was. Is he a charlatan? Is he a liar? Is he a danger? Uh, Who is this who has come amongst us, who does these mighty works? Uh, Is this some kind of a confidence trick uh, that he is bringing forth? Now, what is going on here? And, of course, here we have then Simon setting himself up as a judge, that he should judge Christ. There are many, of course, in this day and age who would do the same thing. Uh, and if they have a consideration of Jesus uh, Christ at all in their, in their thoughts, it is to judge whether uh, or who he is or why he did those things or, uh, in some cases, whether he existed at all. Uh, There there are many, of course, who are cynical concerning Jesus Christ. And Simon, it seems, is cynical here as he considers him. Don't make yourself at home. You're here. I've invited you into my house to give you meat. But I'm not welcoming you into my house. I'm not going to wash your feet. I'm not going to demean myself before you because I don't believe who you are. I don't believe that you are what you say you are. And so this is, once again, the cynical judgment of Simon. But not only was there no water of comfort for the feet of the Saviour, there was no kiss of identification. Again, it was the custom uh, to have that kiss uh, upon uh, perhaps both sides of the face, as is still done in, in, well, it was done until coronavirus anyway, in many parts of the world. Uh, And there was no kiss either. A kiss of identification, that this person is welcome into the house. That is not given. And perhaps Simon does not want to give any occasion to those who might accuse him of friendship with Christ. He didn't want to be connected with Christ. And again, we see this cynical judgment that Christ is not what he says he is. 
that he is not who he says he is, and that Simon doesn't want anybody to think that he is given any kind of, of, of uh, support to Christ or any kind of um, agreement with the things which Christ is doing. There's no kiss of identification. He doesn't want to be accused of friendship or uh, of supporting him in any way. And then, thirdly, in Simon's demeanor, we see that there is no anointing of recognition. No anointing of recognition. Uh, We see, once again, my head with oil thou didst not anoint. And that, again, would be a a welcoming and perhaps a a recognition of an equality uh, of honor, uh, that uh, a person should honor their guest and uh, invite them in in such a way as to as to give them honor and to accept them for who they are but there is no anointing of recognition either there is no acknowledging of an equity between the pharisee and this strange person who has come into the country who has done these mighty works to whom the whole world as the pharisee said uh, went out after him and again he thinks that there is something amiss in christ so this is cynical judgment how many set themselves up as judges of jesus christ uh, instead of searching their own hearts and seeing their own errors and their own faults they have only eyes to look for the faults and errors of others because there are no errors in christ but man will still find them if he wishes to find them and he will still point out that which he thinks to be uh, wrong if he wishes to do so how careful we must be in our judgments of those who are around us this is not just a demeanor perhaps of christ but uh, of all kinds and we need to be very careful of cynicism and then we see also here not just the desire to have christ into the house and it seems as i pointed out that this is to make a judgment concerning him or Simon's demeanor, that he has no welcome, uh, that he has no identification, that he has no recognition of, of Christ, but Simon's own discernment. And we see that, first of all, there is an arrogance about this man. Uh, we see in Luke, in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. He would have known who toucheth him. He would have known what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. So there are two things here. First of all, there is the arrogance of Simon looking upon this woman and considering her to be a sinner, when he also has been disrespectful. He also has sinned in his arrogance Uh, before the very king the very god to whom he uh, professes to bow and this this arrogance this this uh, raising up of himself as being something in, in the days in which he lived that he could make this assessment perhaps to report back to the other pharisees at a later time So what is his assessment? Well, first of all, he wants an assessment of the Savior's bona fides. Uh, That is, uh, whether he is uh, faithful, uh, whether he is of good faith, or whether there is some deceit in his heart. And so he looks upon him, and he sees him, and he watches as this woman 
who is a, a woman, it seems, of uh, disrepute, who comes and begins to, well, to kiss his feet, to, to fondle his feet. Could we use that terminology uh, of, of this woman? And as he's watching and seeing her, in a, in a kind of a way, plying her trade upon Christ, uh, that, that seems to be the, the attitude that Simon has, that that's what he's looking at as he sees this woman, knowing uh, of, of what heart she is and of what trade she is, and wondering why Christ allows her even to touch him, uh, that she might defile him, that she might beguile him. We read together there from Proverbs 7, uh, concerning such a, a woman, a, a, a harlot. Uh, of course, in Proverbs 7, I don't think he's actually speaking of a harlot. He's using it as a, as a parable uh, to show the difference between wisdom and folly, and that the harlot is used as a, an illustration of, of those who follow after foolishness and who lose their own souls. They are to make wisdom uh, their friend, not folly. And I think that the uh, wise man is using that as an allegory there but nevertheless even to use it as an allegory it does make a description of the person of a person of any person of of that ilk and so here we see his assessment first of all if this man if he were a prophet he would have known if he were a prophet he would have known so therefore in simon's mind in simon's heart uh, this man cannot be a prophet he cannot be true he cannot be bona fide. He, he, he is some kind of a, of a charlatan or he is some kind of a, uh, of a deceiver to carry away the people. And of course, this comes from a, a background of, of the Pharisees believing this anyway, doesn't it? The Pharisees had considered amongst themselves that, that, that Jesus was, well, he wasn't one of them. So there was something dodgy about him. There was something wrong with him. And uh, so the, the, the peer pressure, really, I, I suppose I am thinking of here, which is upon Simon, this mindset, and this is what we have in this world in these days, we have a mindset which is already set against Christ. Now Christ, of course, and uh, the God of heaven is able to save every person that he desires from amongst that mindset, but there is that mindset in this nation in these days. That Christ is not what he says he is. Uh, that, that some would say that Christ didn't live at all. Uh, that some would say that these are just stories. And without any uh, real reason for it, they would say so. Uh, but when we come face to face with Christ, this is the difference. And that is why we need so much prayer that the Lord would be with us as we proclaim the gospel. That people need, must, come face to face with Christ himself. Christ uh, dispels these thoughts of the Pharisee, as we will see in a little while. But this is the thought which is upon Simon's heart here. So he makes this assessment, first of all, if he were a prophet, he would have known. And then, of course, in his arrogance, he makes an assessment of the woman, for he says she is a sinner. And yet we find Simon allowing her into his house in order to make an assessment of Christ's reaction. Uh, so it seems, because you would ask the question, if, if Simon is saying that if this man was a prophet, he would know who this was and what manner of a person she was, uh, 
And Simon actually knew that very thing and has allowed her into his house. Then he must have allowed her into his house for a reason. We might even uh, perhaps go down the path of, of, uh, uh, of wondering whether this is in some way arranged uh, that someone might come in of that kind. Uh, I doubt that. I, I think that uh, this woman clearly shows that uh, she loves the Lord and not only so but the Lord's reaction to her shows that this is a spontaneous thing but nevertheless here he he seems to take this opportunity to make an evaluation and he is willing to have her in a house in his house strange isn't it that he would have her in his house uh, and yet will gives no water for the savior's feet no kiss of identification no anointing of recognition and yet here is a man who has uh, nothing against him. Uh, there are, are no black marks against him. There, there is only that which he has done, which is good, and the people following after him. But when she comes in, and she is known, obviously by him, and probably by many others as well, he has no problem with her coming in if he can make this judgment against Christ, or the world will allow anything. If it backs up their thoughts if it backs up what their statement wants to be concerning Christ. And so perhaps we, Simon is, uh, thinks that she is yet plying her trade uh, with this prophet and desires his fall as a demonstration of, of his falsehood. He desires to see Christ fall and he is, he is justifying himself now and thinking, well, it's a good job I didn't wash his feet. It's a good job I didn't give him a kiss as he came in because this man does not know what he is doing here. So much for the cynical judgment of Simon. We come, secondly, to the self-judgment of the woman. And first of all, we see uh, that her entrance into this house, the house of a Pharisee, after all, and the Pharisees, of course, would look down with great disdain upon those who are sinners, that she is a sinner. She is a habitual sinner. She is one of the lowest of the low of the city. She is not worthy to be in such a house as this. And yet she comes. And perhaps she has heard the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we read of in Matthew, and where the Lord Jesus says to those who are around him, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Perhaps that is what she has heard. Perhaps she has come in response to that. Of course, it is in connection with that here. Uh, and when we connect the two passages from Luke and Matthew together and we see the parallels which are there, these things are close together. And perhaps she has heard those words and she has come and she has trusted and she has had that relief of soul that her sins have been lifted. And because of that great elation of her heart, she desires only to give thanks and to glorify the Christ. Perhaps she has seen the Savior's willingness to feast in the house of Matthew the publican, uh, who would have been likewise uh, disdained by the Pharisees. Uh, when he goes in amongst them, uh, when he receives all manner of sinners into that uh, congregation of people and we read there that the pharisees one of the one of the problems that the pharisees had with jesus going into the house of matthew or levi to that feast was that he ate with publicans and sinners and here she is she's a sinner 
And so she is encouraged to come as a sinner into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in that way, that he will not cast her off, he will not cast her aside. And of course, this is the message of the gospel, isn't it? The good news is that the God of heaven will accept even the sinner to himself. He will not reject, but he will accept when we come to him and when we call upon him. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. And he shows mercy unto thousands of them who love him and keep his commandments. His commandment, of course, was, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. She responds. So she comes to Jesus. She seeks Christ in the house of them who despise her. That's an amazing thing. And I've already mentioned this day uh, how that the miracle of salvation is going on still in this nation and across the world as people are trusting in Christ and calling upon the name of the Lord. Here she is in the place where the person who owns the house despises her as a sinner. And yet because Christ is there, she will come. And that, that is the call once again out into the world. Come unto Jesus. Your friends might despise you. They might reject you. They might think ill of you. They may think that it is not real. But nevertheless, Jesus Christ will accept you. He will say to you, come unto me and be cleansed. I will forgive you for your sins. And I will wash you and make you clean. And yet there are many, of course, in this day, and particularly in this day, because of the particular uh, issues which have arisen with the coronavirus, who have no great desire uh, to come and find the Saviour, even in the congregation of those who love to see them and who love the presence of the Lord. Uh, People have, uh, to to a great extent, abandoned churches because, well, they they can go online and need not to leave their house. Uh, They can uh, perhaps listen to sermons if they so wish. Uh, There's no need. And of course, this is something which has been spoken of over generations now. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. This is the kind of um, equivocation that the devil uses. Because it is true. If you are a Christian, you can't get to church. If you can't get to amongst the the gathering of God's people, if you are laid aside... Uh, If there is something which uh, stops you from getting there, that doesn't stop you from being a Christian. But if there is this thought in your mind, well, I don't need to go to church because I can be a Christian anyway. Anyway, I don't need to meet together with God's people. I don't need to come under the preaching of the gospel. Uh, I I can do all these things myself without the need of anybody else. Then there is a question to be asked. Why is there no desire to be in the presence of Christ. Because Christ has promised that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there am I in the midst of them. He is in the midst of a congregation of his people. Why do people have a problem with meeting together with God's people? What is that issue? And so here she comes and she is in Simon's house and Simon despises her, but Christ, Christ accepts her. And she comes and brings her repentance, and her heart for the Saviour. And with this entrance, we see also her evidences that she is transformed, that she has given up that which she had been, that she has turned all that she was unto the Lord. 
that he might have all things. Uh, we read in the scripture uh, of, the, of the fact that we had been uh, given ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. And now we are to yield ourselves as the servants of God. Romans 6.19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. And this is what she does. We see the evidences of the change in her. First of all, we find that she comes and she weeps over the Savior's feet and washes them with her tears and dries his feet with her hair. First Corinthians 11.15 we, we read, But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. The word covering there means for a garment, uh, for an adornment. In other words, uh, the, in the Greek, the other word which is used is a word which means to veil or to hide. Uh, and so it's a different, different use of the word in that portion of scripture. But the long hair, it is a glory to her. She takes her glory and she uses it to clean and to dry the Savior's feet. She puts that upon the uh, feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we see these evidences, her glory at the Saviour's feet. Are we willing to give our glory to the Saviour? Uh, here we find that Simon, well, his glory is that he is a judge, that he judges Christ, that he looks upon him and says, well, if this man were a prophet, he would know. But she, judging herself, rather, judges that she is unworthy to be in the presence of the Lord, that her hair, which had been her glory, should be used to clean the dust, the dirt of the ground from the feet of her Saviour. We see her kiss also, the kiss of the impudent woman, as we read together from Proverbs 7 and verse 10 to uh, set 10 onwards. I've taken a piece out of the middle because it's a long reading, but here we read these words from Proverbs 7:10. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. And with an impudent face said unto him, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. Now, as I've said, this refers to foolishness, the, 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 the folly of foolishness. Wisdom is taken as a woman in the book of Proverbs. And here folly is taken as the... Um, the opposite of that wisdom as being a woman who is a harlot. But here we see that the thought of the woman herself is so, so she caught him and kissed him and with an impudent face said unto him. This is the tool of her trade then, which is we are looking at here. And as we have just read from Romans 6 and verse 19, as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness so she uses the the tools which she has used in the plying of her trade now to come and to kiss the saviour's feet no longer will they be used in such a way as they have been used in the past now they are used to glorify god 
to glorify Christ. Here are the evidences of a, of a change of heart, of a desire of soul to be clean and to, and to glorify Christ and to exalt him. And those things have a new use. Uh, and whatever talents, uh, if we might call that a talent, I, I'm not quite sure a talent is the right word to use, but whatever it is that the Lord has given to us that we have used in the service of wickedness and the service of the world, let us turn those abilities, uh, those skills to the service of Christ, to glorify him, to honor him. Whatever we may have in our armory to do our business, let us turn those things to the glory of God. We don't know how this woman came to be in such a, uh, a profession. Uh, very often it seems that there has been something in a person's life which has brought them to this uh, but we know also that uh, sometimes the pursuit of riches can take a person into such a, a, a way but she whatever it was whether she was abused herself or whether perhaps the uh, the call or the the need for fun, funds and finances had drawn her into this way of life whatever it was now it was over that she might lay her kisses upon the feet of Christ, that she should glorify him. And then we see also her ointment. And again, this is a part of the trade. Uh, we read there in, in Proverbs 7 and verse 17, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with love, with loves. And this ointment, uh, this ointment is just so expensive and we can understand that there are those who have uh, made a fortune in such pursuits in this world and that they have been able to uh, accrue great things because of it and she gives up the tool of her trade the sweetness of this ointment which is unworthy in her opinion for the head of Christ because of where it would have come from or what it was to be used for but poured, rather, upon his feet. The alabaster box of ointment, well, there is another mentioned, uh, which we read of, and how that Judas had said that it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. It might have been sold for more than 300 pence. Well, what's 300 pence? We don't really know, do we? Because we don't use denarii in these days. Uh, so what, what would it have been worth then? Well, in Matthew 20 and verse, 20, verse 2, we read of laborers going into the vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. A penny a day. So 300 days labor of the laborers in the vineyard. 300 days. Now, that's the most part of a year. Uh, for a year's wages then because it could have been sold for more than 300 pence a year's wages here is broken and is poured upon the feet of the savior uh, someone that's given a price to it uh, when i looked it up on the internet as to what it might be worth and it was something like forty-seven thousand three hundred dollars um american obviously but nevertheless you can see how expensive this was but she was willing now she wasn't going to use it in her trade anymore. Now it was for the feet of the Savior. 
the ointment which he gives up. Or we might say, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. And she is so thankful, so uh, filled with, with elation and praise for the Savior, that this box of ointment which she had, which she had purchased at great cost, that she might all the better ply her trade and perhaps with, a, with a, what might be termed a higher class of customer. And she takes it, she opens it, she pours it upon the feet of the Saviour. When Simon would give not even water to cleanse them. And no ordinary olive oil for his head to anoint him. She takes this so expensive ointment pours it upon his feet because she worships him i wonder what it is that we give to the lord jesus christ what are we willing to give up for the savior what bridges are we willing to burn that we might never go back that way once again that we might go on with christ that we might trust in christ well what it, what was it i wonder uh, it was in her mind that she would do now to bring in the, the funds that she needed to live. Was she now to cast herself upon the mercy of God and to trust in him? And she is willing to do so. And she is willing to show herself as repentant before the Savior. She gives up these things that, that she might glorify Christ. And we see also her relation. She is rejoicing. It's interesting in the Old Testament in Exodus 30 and verse 8, it says, And he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The looking glasses. Again, speaking of that, that, that uh, consideration of the flesh and the beauty of the flesh. And, uh, well, I suppose what a, uh, the, the, the hair would look like. But it's the looking glasses of the women, it says. And here it is given for the laver, that which cleanses. And perhaps there is this, this picture once again of, of giving up the glories of this world, the things of this world, uh, the, the beauties of this world, that we might know the beauty of the feet of Jesus Christ. And we find through all of this, no words issue from her mouth. She is silent. Proverbs 10:19 we read in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin but he that refraineth his lips is wise. And the Pharisee was willing to utter and to think these words concerning her and concerning Christ. His words spoken aloud are just simply that I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he's guarded in his words, I suppose Nevertheless, he condemns himself. And Jesus picks this very point up as he speaks. And sees here then finally the sweet judgment of Christ, Christ's observations. First of all, there's a prophetic evidence. Of course, Simon has said if this man were a prophet, he would have known. But Jesus makes that evidence known to him. 
by saying to him after the thoughts of his mind, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, note the words, Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And so he gives his prophetic bona fides here because he is now speaking in response to what Simon was thinking. If he would have known who this woman was, well, that was Simon's judgment. But in actual fact, he knows what Simon's thinking. And he answers him the question which he didn't ask, but was upon his heart. So there's prophetic evidence in Christ's observations. And there's a powerful evaluation also. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And that evaluation, I suggest to you, is that here you have rightly judged, but in all of your other judgments, you are completely wrong. First of all, you are wrong that I am not a prophet, because I know what you're thinking. Secondly, you are wrong about this woman, that she is a sinner, for she is cleansed, for she is washed, For she is sanctified. She is no longer what she once was. She is now free. Her sins forgiven. She is saved. And she may go forth in peace. And then thirdly here we see these pertinent examples. As he turned to the woman and said to Simon. Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. You see how Christ has noticed all of these things. He had noted just what Simon's heart was. He had noted that there was no washing of his feet. That there was no kiss upon his face. That there was no ointment for his head. He had noted all of these things. And yet he had forgiven in a simple way those things which were not done and it's interesting to say that when christ makes his oration and speaks uh, to this woman uh, and uh, makes these words here uh, continuing on from verse 45 thou gavest me no kiss but this woman since the time i came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet my head with oil thou didst not anoint but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment Therefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth a little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. But he had also forgiven those sins of the man who sought to judge him. The sins of separation, of giving no water of comfort, no kiss of identification, No anointing of recognition. He doesn't berate him for these things, but he does make mention of them. He has forgiven those things, but they are little things. They are tiny things. This woman with her great sins, Christ forgives. She is cleansed. She goes forth in peace. What a wonderful saviour. But I wonder how like this woman we are and what we are willing to give to the glory of the Lord. Amen.